0: Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This week's interview guest is Ed Malian, who's the Chicago-based Managing Director of The Athletic UK and overseeing one of the most intriguing expansions in world soccer media. While we've got you, make sure to check out Planet Football TV, SI's weekly soccer video series that I co-host with Luis Miguel Echegaray. We have interviews, debate, and thoughtful opinions on the game we all love. That's Planet Football TV. onward Our guest today is Ed Mallion. He's the managing director of the Athletic UK, which has burst onto the scene this summer, hiring dozens of new writers and editors covering soccer in the UK and seeking to be a disruptor in the coverage of soccer over there and globally. You might remember I interviewed Ed on this podcast during World Cup 2018 in Russia when he was still the sports editor of The Independent. Ed, welcome back on the show, and since you're a new Chicago resident, welcome to living in the United States.
1: Well, I thank you very much. It's, uh, I've been here for, what, like 36 hours, and I've, <laughs> I've already been to one sport, sporting event, so that's kind of uh, how I plan to live my life in Chicago. <laughs> Where did you go to?
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: Cubs against Mariners last night. Uh, Obviously, Cubs absolutely blew them out. uh, But still, still kind of one game back, I think, from St. Louis uh, in the Central.
0: Well, it's funny because I think back to when we did our last interview for this podcast in Moscow, and that was in... Summer of 2018, so uh, you know year and, little, and a half ago. little over a year ago, yeah. and I remember I think after we stopped recording, you said to me that you were likely to move to the U.S. at some point, and and here you are. Um, and how did that all come about?
1: Well, my uh, my fiance is American, so that, that really kind of was a big part of it. But you know, I've always been interested in in U.S. sports. I, I i want to write a book about um kind of what u.s sport tells us about american society which i think is is something i've always found really interesting some of the you know the the things that from an external point of view make absolutely no sense like (laughs) college football and why these guys don't get paid and all these different you know aspects of of american sporting culture that that i think people over here are just you know just take it as that's all they've ever known whereas from an outsider's point of view some of it kind of doesn't make sense. So I want to kind of ask some questions about that, but what uh, like we were talking about before, whereas like I was looking for a way to come over here at some point. And then, you know, I'd first spoken to the athletic maybe two years ago um, and they weren't ready to to move into football yet, but it was a business model that I was very interested in. And then when it uh, kind of came to it, I, they got back in touch with me in April and said, we think we're willing to, to do this. We're ready to do this now. So I flew over to San Francisco and spoke to them for a weekend about, what we'd kind of do, and we drew up a plan on a whiteboard, and they said, Go out and do it. And that's kind of what we spent the last four months doing now.
0: It's a really interesting story. Before we go any further, in case some of our listeners here have been living under a rock, can you explain what the athletic is and sort of its subscription model?
1: So basically, it was um, born out of a frustration of uh, our, our co founders, one is from Cincinnati, one's from Philadelphia. Um, both of their local papers, funnily enough, are called the Enquirer, although spelled differently. And what they found living in San Francisco um, was that they struggled to find good writing about their teams from back home. You know, the, you know, the, apart from the Eagles, of course, winning the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, you're looking at, at very scant coverage. I think of of the Bengals, or uh, of the Phillies, and and teams like that in California. Um, and if you look at, I guess, some of the bigger names in in publishing they are on what we call a volume business model which depends on advertising for sales uh to make money and if you're not producing kind of lots of page views then you're not producing lots of money via advertising so the smaller teams get ignored that was kind of what was happening to these teams so what these guys decided to do was launch a subscription service they started in chicago um uh, when was that 2016 which happened to be the year the cubs won the world series i think which really helped but what they did was expand that out. They went after Chicago was a, a success as soon as they started making money. It was like, right, we can do this in another market. They went to Toronto, which is obviously different because it's uh, ice hockey is the biggest sport there. So it's a different country with different regulations, different taxes, different sport to focus on. And they made Toronto very successful as well. And what that kind of inspired investors to, to believe was, right, if you expand this across the whole of the US, then you know this could be a completely different sports media outlet that covers every team not just the, the biggest teams and uh, and they did it you know they went across and they cover every single professional team in the United States and Canada and then obviously I, I saw the kind of the idea working in the UK if you support so I support Crystal Palace and if you support Crystal Palace there's not a ton of Crystal Palace coverage around because the way to make money is to cover Arsenal or Liverpool or Manchester United or any of these teams so that's kind of you know that that was the rough basis of the subscription model and how it was going to work and then what we've done over the last four or five months is just kind of our interpretation of how that should work in the UK.
0: And it's very interesting I mean just to see the the sheer numbers of people you've hired uh, writers and editors we're talking dozens of people um, over in the UK people like uh, Raphael Honigstein, Oliver Kay, Amy Lawrence, Michael Cox, Jack Pitt Brook, editors like Alex K. Jelski, who was running the sports section at the Times of London. Um, so tell me that story. Was that you being the guy to go over and basically build a staff?
1: Yeah, well, essentially, kind of. I had a budget. Um, we knew roughly what the the kind of shape was going to look like we'd want like between 5 and 10 editors or so um you know we're going to need at least one writer at every premier league club so that's 20 odd people and then adding on some extras i guess for the the bigger clubs you know the, the bigger clubs i think there's more competition there as we said because uh, everyone covers them quite in depth but you know what you can do is add extra people have two or three people at chelsea for example like we do Um, And if you have two or three people at Arsenal, what you can do is then cover them in a different way to what everyone else is doing. So I I can't remember how many writers we have now. I I think it's around 40-ish, five to ten editors. And it was just a case of picking, you know, the people who we thought were kind of good value, you know, who we thought was going to drive subscriptions. Sometimes that's the most obvious name there, the big name there. So Phil Hay is the best guy at covering Leeds United. And we decided that we we're going to cover some of the biggest championship clubs because they have huge fan bases. And Phil was an obvious guy to go, go and hire. And, and you know, he got the whole concept immediately and we got him very quickly. And then at other clubs, we've decided to go for maybe someone who, who was younger, who we thought has tremendous upside um, and can really develop as a journalist. And as soon as we could showcase their talent, they were going to bring in subscribers as well. So we've kind of got a real blend of, people well-known names like danny taylor who has won yeah what, the last yeah, four five football journalist of the year awards
0: right.
1: uh, in the uk um and he's broken some of the biggest stories around but we've also you know hired some really talented young guys there's a guy called Rashane thomas who covers west ham for us and he's absolutely superb and he's i think 21 22. Mm-hmm. so we've got a huge spectrum but uh what i do believe is we've got kind of definitely the best team of of football writers that's ever been assembled. It's certainly the biggest the team of football writers that's ever been assembled. Um, and the content so far, I, I'm very proud of it. I think they've done a great job.
0: So how hard was it to convince some of these folks to to, to sign on? I mean, I you know, you've got a lot of talented people here for something that is in brand new, completely new.
1: Yeah, I mean... What we had to do is we had to convince them, you know, of, of the business model. Now, the one thing, obviously, having worked at newspapers that I know is that there are frustrations that come with that. And everyone we talked to had certain frustrations with their like current workplace. You know, it's some for some people it was uh, they would just felt they were being incredibly overworked and overstretched, and they weren't actually having the time and space to to write good things that they were proud of. That was a big issue for a lot of people. There were other people you know, who who were concerned about the financial stability of where they were working, or there are other people who had just stuck in a bottleneck. You know, the the kind of, uh, the newspaper was quite hierarchical. And I guess you have uh, each paper, like one chief football writer and one chief sports writer. What that means is that there's only, you know, say like 10 to 15 top, top jobs in the UK and everyone else has to kind of wait in time, wait wait in line, wait behind these, these chiefs. And I think we what we did is we picked a lot of people who have the talent and the ability and the contacts to be a chief football writer at any newspaper, but who have had to just sit there waiting because there weren't the jobs. And um, you know, it was you know there was no one obviously that's come on board who wasn't sold by the vision. There were people we talked to who just didn't didn't like it, didn't understand it, didn't didn't get the vision, and that's fine. You know, if it's not for them, then we don't hire them. But there were other people who we spoke to who immediately got it, who were excited by it. And like all of the people we've hired in the end, all of them are kind of really excited and thrilled because it's an opportunity to write the things you want to write and, and write things that are interesting to you, but also kind of in a different way than they've been able to before because it's a different business model.
0: And how would you sort of break down of your writers in the UK? How many are sort of local markets covering a specific... Club. How many are sort of national writers who will go all over the place in the UK?
1: So I, I'd say like the national writers, we've got Ollie Kay, who was the chief football correspondent of the Times, and Danny Taylor joining soon. He was the chief football writer at the Guardian. Uh, David Ornstein, when he arrives, will be um, kind of an, an insider for us. Um, it's interesting, you know, like uh, this is uh, presumably a majority American audience that listens to this podcast, and I think you guys would be used to listening to, or, I don't know, maybe Adam Schefter, ESPN or Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, mm-hmm. um, Woj, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his full name, but Woj, uh, for ESPN on the yeah. basketball. These are guys who, they kind of, they break every story, you know, and it's, they, they are the go-to guy for news. And and David Ornstein, has kind of been that for a few years at the BBC on, on football transfers. But I think that, there's also a lot of untapped potential with David Ornstein as to what you can do with him. So I think we can make him into a, you know, the source for for transfer news in the English language. And then beyond that, you know, Michael Cox, as you've talked about is is probably, you know, I guess classified as a national writer because he's Mm -hmm. across all the clubs looking at different tactics and and strategies and stuff. And I think Coxie again has a lot of untapped potential. I've known him for a long time and uh, kind of, we're working on a few things. that I think will really get the best out of him going forward. Um, but most of the other people really are club specific as, as we talked about. So there are, I think 26 or 27 who are specializing in the premier league. So that's one for each club. Plus uh, you talked about Arsenal, for example, we've got James McNicholas who comes from a more blogger background, Amy Lawrence, who has covered Arsenal for years and made yeah. films about, and documentaries about, about Arsenal. Um, and then at Chelsea, we have, for example, Simon Johnson, who was the the local guy for the Evening Standard for many years. Uh, Liam Toomey, who was a ESPN guy who had a blogger background again. And then we're hiring Dom Firefield from The Guardian, who is more of kind of a featurey guy. Um, so, like, it's all about blending the skill sets. Like, the Chelsea coverage there, because you have three different sort of points of view on it, three different angles, is suddenly very comprehensive and deep. Um, and we're kind of try and do that, I guess, with every single club, is is how can we cover these clubs in a way that nobody else is doing because fortunately we have you know the resources to just focus all of our money on covering football whereas newspapers for example have to cover politics and international news and a lot of other important things but unfortunately they cost money
0: and do you have plans to to go onto the continent and and have people covering some of the big clubs uh in europe
1: I think there are a few different ways we could do it. So Raphael Honigstein, you mentioned him earlier. Uh, he's great because he can cover Bundesliga stuff that is going to be of interest to people in the English language. But you can flip that on its head as well. He also has like the best access to German players in the Premier League. So mm. you know, he wrote the book about Jurgen Klopp, literally. Mm. Um, and, and he knows a lot of the German players in the Premier League. So uh, there are ways that we can use him that I think will be interesting to cover the Bundesliga. I mean, I personally would love it if down the line, we could have someone covering every single Spanish, Italian, German club. Um, I don't know if that's financially viable yet in the English language. It, it probably wouldn't be, you'd probably have to go and do it in a native language. It is a huge logistical challenge, right. but we, we definitely will be covering any interesting story from, from Europe and around the world. Jack Lang has already been writing a lot about South America. I wrote about Australian soccer the other day. So, wherever there's a good story we'll, we'll kind of be there like there's some good La Liga stuff already lined up I know that for sure one of our guys has just been to Belgium uh, to see how Vincent company's doing at Andelect. Nice. um and there's some Liga stuff so yeah there's there's lots going on um I think we're going to broaden the offering as much as we can because we know that obviously football fans might they might come they might subscribe originally for the coverage of their team but like people like you and I we we read widely about football you know we read about different clubs and different teams, because it's more about whether interesting stories, I guess, rather than just specifically leagues or clubs.
0: And from your position here, being based in Chicago, um, like, what is your role with all of this? Because you, uh, your title is managing director, not like editor. Is, is that just a semantics difference? Or does that actually uh, describe your role?
1: So basically, I'm kind of going to be overseeing the entire business uh, in the UK from over here. I'll spend a lot of time in San Francisco, which is where the headquarters is. Mm -hmm. Spend a lot of time in London, um, obviously back there, seeing everyone and and checking how things are going, constantly looking at new ways to grow the business. Um, Alex who you mentioned earlier, we've hired him to take charge of all the editorial stuff. So I don't want to interfere in that because one, he's really good at that. So we don't need kind of me meddling in that. But you know, on the wider editorial vision, obviously Alex and I have talked about that a lot and we know what we want it to look like in the future. So uh, yeah, I'm not that involved editorially. It's more about kind of uh, hiring and finding new ways to grow and expand. You know, our audio offering is something that I'm working on at the moment. And how can we work with the, like all the clubs, uh, the coverage of the clubs that we have to have the best podcast offering that's going to be available? That's kind of a big question that's on my mind right now. And then going forward, you know, I still write occasional bits. Um, we have a, a free daily newsletter for anyone, even if they don't subscribe, that, that I write occasionally, which is, you know, just finding little interesting stories from around the world. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be doing the odd bit of, of sports writing around American sports, uh, including on Thursday night at, at Bears Packers. So nice. there's lots going on for me. Yeah. So it's, uh, I'm not too worried about not being that involved with the editorial because it's in very good hands with Alex.
0: I mean, I, I kind of, i you're one of these people I met through Twitter as as it happens, and it's one of the things that reminds me that Twitter is not just a cesspool, uh, that very good things can happen. And I remember coming across you and your work when you were, I think you had a South American connection uh, with some of yeah, the work you've right. done, um, and you were writing, and you you know, you go back to the UK and, and then you become an editor and put this really impressive staff together at, uh, at the independent. Um, how are you sort of, and you're ridiculously young too, right? Like what, how old are you? I was 30 last week. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> um, I, how, when you look at what you're trying to do in your career and, and obviously moving over to the U S and, and living in Chicago, um, Like, how do you try and split up the the writing and the editing and books and and all of this stuff that you're doing right now?
1: I mean, so it's kind of weird because they all feed off each other and they all help each other, you know? I guess the best thing for me is I don't have any pressure to write. Um, It's when a good story comes to me or when I get some good information or something, usually I, I just pass that on and someone else can use it, but maybe there's something that I just get that urge in, inside me that you, I need to write this thing, you know, like the, the, the piece I'm writing this week on the NFL, it's just an idea I've had about three months ago and, and I just can't let go of it. So I have to write this thing. Uh, and all you can do is try and execute it as well as possible. But that kind of goes for all the other stuff I'm doing, you know, like when it comes to writing a book, it, it's, I, I've, I've long thought I wouldn't be able to write a book because there wasn't one thing that I was that interested in to kind of be able to, pursue for two years and then smash it out. But actually what, the more I thought about this idea it's the more I want to do it. And the more I talk to other people about it, the more ideas they put in my head as other mm-hmm. chapters to do and, and things like that, which are really interesting to me. And then on the business side, it's, you know, it, it all feeds in because all I'm hearing all day is just constant football stuff, uh, sports stuff, different uh, things from around the world, of sport. And it's how does this affect our business? How can we capitalize on this? How can we cover this in the best way possible? So they're all kind of linked. Um, They all kind of help each other. And uh, it's just, you know, it doesn't feel like a job, I guess, when you're doing this all day long because it's it's always interesting to me. And, you know, I'm going to Bears-Packers on Thursday, then I'm going to a college game on Saturday, and then Raiders-Broncos on Monday. And it's, you know, it's all part of the job. So I just love it.
0: Nice. I'm always fascinated to hear people from outside the U S their impressions of the American sports landscape. And this sounds like stuff you've already put a lot of thought into. So now that you're living over here, uh, very curious to see, see and read how you experience it in terms of the athletic and, and what you guys are doing. What do you see as sort of the biggest challenges to getting to where you want to be?
1: Um, uh we probably don't even know what they are yet you know uh, in the uk um the thing that people most uh, often bring up is the, the the bbc because the bbc is is free to read for everyone um I, I don't see it as an obstacle because we've known about the bbc before coming into the market so the only thing we have to do is provide different coverage to the bbc if we just provided the same sort of stuff that's available for free the business would fail so it's all about How can we differentiate ourselves? Um, And and one of the ways I kind of described this to people before is imagine if you're interviewing a Crystal Palace player like James MacArthur, right? And if you're doing that at The Guardian or The Independent, then you're trying to make that interesting to a national audience. And that's quite difficult to do. Like, how do you make James MacArthur interesting to a, a national audience? But if you're the Crystal Palace writer who is mainly writing for subscribers who read the Crystal Palace feed alone, that's much easier. And, and what you can do is make it interesting for the palace fans and then other people, other fans of, of other teams. who want to read that. That's fine. If they're really interested in football, they can go and read that and, and learn a bit more about him. But really, if you're writing for the fans, you know, it's a much more obvious thing to do and it's much more direct. And that, what that does is it creates a, a relationship and a, more of like a community. If you read the comment section on our website, it's uh, it's not like comment section you get elsewhere on the internet. It's, it's very friendly. It's, constructive um so uh, the biggest like kind of obstacle to us being a success i think is just if we if we plateau if we get complacent and stop growing but then you know there are millions and millions and millions of football fans around the world and potential subscribers and you know we're not even at a million subscribers yet so there's so much more growth that we can do i I don't see any obstacles in the immediate short-term future i think it's just down the line you know when people get a bit bored of of maybe the reading the coverage they are. It's like, how can we keep improving this product so that people always want to stay around and hang around? And I think, as I said before, podcast and audio will be next. I think there must be a way we can integrate video down the line because certainly the younger demographic likes consuming things via video. So it's how can we do that? How can we make this different to the video you can get anywhere else? And how do we make this a great product? And as long as you keep answering that question, how can we improve the product for subscribers? That's never going to be a problem.
0: Well, uh, it seems like Crystal Palace now has a a fair number of uh, supporters in the U.S. media who come over here, including with you and Rebecca Lowe. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We've we've had Rebecca Lowe on before, and and she does a fantastic uh, American accent. So next time I talk to you, I fully expect you to have a Chicago accent down.
1: Well, I was actually thinking this at the Cubs game last night. Like My, my American accent, I sound like a valley girl. So uh, basically, like I'm going to try and master the Chicago accent. Give me six months and, and I'll be perfect, I think.
0: Sounds good. Ed Mallion, Managing Director of The Athletic UK. Really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Thanks, Grant. Cheers for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Ed Mallion as well as producer Brandon Nix and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember to check out Planet Football TV, SI's weekly soccer video series that I co-host with Luis Miguel Echegaray. We have interviews, debate, and thoughtful opinions on the game we all love. That's Planet Football TV. See you next time.